Here's my question for you today. Who told you about Jesus? Who's the one who shared with you the gospel in such a way that you came to faith? Some of you have known this, but a few years ago, my mom passed away, and we had some time to be with her in those final days. And the first weekend, I come from a family of eight kids. We were all there for the first weekend with her. And she wasn't responsive, but we sat around. And at one point, this beautiful moment came where we, sat, we went around the circle, because there's eight of us, and shared who it was that shared the gospel with us that was to such an extent that we came to faith. My mom was one of those people for several of my siblings. My older brother was the person for me. One of my brothers, I remember, said Miss Norton in Sunday school class. And it was just a beautiful picture to go around and to hear who it was that brought the good news to us. Even though we grew up in a home where we talked about it ever since we could remember, there came a point where somebody shared the gospel with us to such a degree that we made a profession of faith and we were born again spiritually. And so I want you to think about that moment for a second and who that person was. And maybe it was through the internet. Maybe it was in, in, in a random person that you don't even remember. Maybe it was somebody that was really important in your life. But take a moment and think about who that person was and how do you feel about that person? What goes through your mind when you think of that person? When I think of my older brother, what goes through my mind was, it was just amazing that my teenage brother, when I was five, and he was 16, and I knew all about the gospel because I grew up in the church, but that moment when I started asking him questions, he took time to sit down, and to this day, you can imagine, you know, now the ages that we're at, once in a while we reminisce on that, and it's a, it's a sweet moment. My, my guess is when you think about whoever that person is, there is a sweetness that comes to your mind. You, you think about them in a, in a positive way, and you think about them and say, man, what a blessing to have them come to me and share the good news of the gospel. Now, a couple of weeks ago, here's where we're going with all of this. A couple of weeks ago, we had a family meeting in which I shared some of the things that God has been putting on my heart in regard to the Chester Park campus. And I looked at the six core identities, and I shared with you how at this point in the life of the Chester Park campus, here's what, what I think are special points of emphasis or special points of focus that we want to have moving forward. And so what I mean by this, are the, everything on these six core identities are important. I'm just saying that here's a couple of things that I, I would like to see us elevate and focus on a little bit more in the next several months. So not that all the rest of them aren't important. In fact, some of them are foundational to this. But what we want to focus on moving forward in the next number of months at Chester Park is this core identity, the core identity of witness. Here's what we say at Chester Park, or excuse me, at Rock Hill. Both campuses, and if you're visiting today, we're one church, two campuses. And so our core identities and the commitments we make to one another are the same at both campuses. How we live that out and carry that out might look a little bit different based on our location and based on the circles of influence that we have. But here's what we say about witness. We are to declare with words and demonstrate with actions of love the gospel of Jesus. That's what we want to be about. We are to declare with our words, but also then demonstrate with actions of love the gospel of Jesus. And for those of you who are members, when you became a member, you signed what we call the membership covenant. And that membership covenant was to take these six core identities and say, we're going to commit to living those out together in a community. And this is what we say about witness in our member covenant. I commit to being a witness for Jesus Christ wherever I go. 
This means seeking to have genuine relationships with people who do not know Jesus and actively praying for them while seeking opportunities to share the hope that I have in Christ. This includes sharing the gospel in words, and you're going to see us talk about that over and over again. The gospel does need to be spoken about, evangelism. But we're also to share it in deeds, acts of mercy, as well as inviting them to experience biblical community, gathering together like this or in our city groups, and for them to hear the preaching of the word. So that's what we're talking about today. And what I want to do, I want to address it in a way that's maybe a little bit different than what we usually think about when we think about witnessing. If you're like me, if you grew up in the church, as soon as you hear witnessing, you get a little nervous. You get dry mouth, so you got to take a drink of water. You get a little nervous that we're going to talk about kind of guilting people into this or trying to motivate people through the lenses of obedience only. Like, you just got to do it because you got to be obedient, so grit your teeth and try real hard. Or if you don't, you feel guilt and shame because people's eternity is at stake. I want to take a little different twist today from Romans chapter 10, verses 13, and 14, 13 through 17. And I want us to see it from a different vantage point. I want us to see it from the beautiful feet of those who preach the good news. Why is it beautiful for those who bring good news? Listen to what Romans 10, 13 through 17 says. I think it's up on the screen. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open up there. Verse 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So we're going to take this verse at a time, kind of break it down, and, and I hope that when we leave today, you're going to be motivated by something different than just guilt or obedience when it comes to sharing the good news of the gospel. This is what Paul says in verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In the context of this chapter and this passage, Paul's making it really clear in Romans that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. They can be granted salvation by calling on one name and one name only. But anybody can. Not, it doesn't matter if they're Jew or Gentile. In Galatians, he's going to say slave or free, male or female. None of that matters. There is no people group when it comes that is exempt from this, anybody who comes to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ can be saved. There is no type of person that is outside the scope of the saving ability of the name of the Lord Jesus. So here's what I want you to take from verse 13 is simply this. Anyone that you know and everyone that you know can be saved. That's really good news this morning because there is nobody in your life that you know that is outside the ability for the name of Jesus to save him and her. Everybody. There's no one that cannot be saved. That's really good news because sometimes we run into people that we think, man, I don't think that that person's ever going to come to faith in Jesus. I got a friend like that from high school. His name is Rip. I got to be careful because this is recorded, but Rip will never be listening to it anyway. <laughs> but we were good friends growing up our whole life, and Rip's the kind of guy 
years ago I ran into him, he goes, yeah, I had to stop bar fighting because I got beat up by a biker. <laughs> I'm like, Rip, maybe you never should have been doing that in the first place, right? <laughs> but that's just the kind of guy he was, but he's my friend. I pray for Rip on a regular basis because nobody is outside of the ability of Jesus to save. Now I look at him, sometimes I think I can't see it. I can't see how Jesus is going to do this, but I know this to be true, that there's no one who's outside of the ability to be saved. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus can be saved. Now then Paul goes into this next thing. That's our, that's our foundation for this. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. But he says then in verse 14, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now Paul is going to get really logical here, and he's going to take us through these logical steps that when we hear him we go, Oh yeah, that makes sense. He says, if, if you need to call on the name of the Lord to be saved, how can you do that if you don't believe? Believe in what? If you don't have faith in Jesus and who he is, and if you don't have faith in Jesus and what he has done, you can't call on him to be saved because you don't believe in who he is. So he starts out, and he's going to be kind of, like I said, working backwards. So if you need to call on the name of the Lord to be saved, and logically... You have to believe in him to be able to call on him. Then he goes on to say, then how can they believe in one that they've never heard of? So how can I put my faith and believe in him and then call on his name if I've never heard of him? Now, it's really strange for us to think, but in the culture we live in today, right, there are people in the United States that have never heard of Jesus. I've met people. I've worked in places where people are like, who is Jesus? One of my favorite questions I ever got when I was working in the prison was when one man raised his hand with all sincerity and with, you know, just honest question. He said, one thing I don't understand is, who is God's mom? God must have a mom, right? He had to come from someplace. He wasn't talking about Jesus. He was talking about God. Listen, Paul is writing in a context where many, many people had never even heard of Jesus. So he's given this logical perspective. How can you believe on someone you've never heard of? And then he says, how can they hear without someone preaching or sharing? So the logic, got to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Calling on the name of the Lord is belief in him. How can you believe in him if you've never heard of him? And how can you hear of him unless somebody comes and tells you? And so he's just logically walking us through that. And and when he says preach, he simply means proclaim, somebody who's proclaiming it. So let's reverse it for a second, all right? So let's take it now and flip it back in an order that we're kind of used to from, from the base and move it upward. This is what he's saying. Someone needs to preach or speak the gospel. Then someone will hear the gospel. Then someone can believe in the gospel. And then they're going to call on the name of the Lord. And then they're saved. That's the process. Process for everyone, some way or another. Whether you have experienced Christ through a dream, which has happened in parts of our world, through vision, whether you came to know Christ simply by reading the scripture and no one spoke to you, or you heard somebody speak on the internet, or you had somebody who sat down and talked to you about the gospel, it all works this way. Somebody needs to bring it, You need to hear it, then you believe in it, then you call on the name of the Lord, and then you're saved. And then he gives us the next logical step in verse 15. 
And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Paul states the next step here. Somebody's got to be sent to do it. Somebody's got to be the one who goes out and shares it, who speaks it, who shares it. If they don't go out, people aren't going to hear. People aren't going to know. Now the question I want to wrestle with And I'm going to have you just wait for a little bit, but it's in this verse right here, and we're going to look at it in just a few moments. But why are the feet beautiful of those who preach good news? That's really the question. Why is this beautiful? Why are their feet beautiful, those who are bringing this good news to others? And so then he's going to go on and give us the hard part, verse 16, that not all who are going to obey the gospel who hear it, For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? We've got to be reminded that not everyone who hears will believe. And sometimes that sends us into a great deal of discouragement, but i got another solution for that in just a few moments, so hang in there with me. And then he goes on, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. That's really powerful. Faith comes from hearing, but what are we hearing? Not just stuff that you and I make up, not just stuff that we think, We're talking about the actual words of Christ because Christ himself told us who he was. Christ himself told us that he was the one that only through him could one find salvation. So we're just telling the words of Christ. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Paul's going to make it very clear here. You've got to be able to hear it at some point. So our actions are not enough, although they're very important. Don't hear me wrong. I'm supposed to live out the gospel in such a way that maybe some of you have had this happen to you before where somebody says something's different about you. What's different about you? But if I just say, well, I'm a nice guy who's trying hard, (laughs) that's missing the point, right? We have to be able to speak it and to to declare it and to present it to them because they need to hear it. So what are they hearing, though? The actual words of Christ. I want to be prepared to share the actual words of Christ and what Christ has said, and who Christ is. And to speak through the words of Christ about their need to have faith in Christ. Through the words of Christ, their need to have forgiveness of sins. Through the words of Christ, helping them understand who Christ is, what their condition is, and what their situation is, and why they need to hear about who Christ is. So with all of that as our backdrop, I want to spend the rest of my time answering this question, why are the feet of those who bring good news beautiful? Why should I have a different motivation instead of just, I'm going to try to be obedient, instead of just, man, I feel guilty, so I should probably do this. Maybe seeing it as, what an opportunity I have to have beautiful feet of bringing such good news to people. And, and this good news is so life-transforming and so beautiful that I should have a desire and a passion and want to share it anywhere and any way that I can. So my prayer this morning is that you won't walk away from here feeling guilt or shame or anxiety or fear, the normal things that kind of come up when we talk about witnessing. I hope that you'll walk away this morning going, I want to have a different foundation, the beauty of bringing good news. I want that to be my foundation. Because I think that will encourage us to witness. If I have a different perspective of saying, man, I just want to be one of those who gets to bring this great news to people. 
And so in order to do that, I think that we have to wrestle with this question is, why is it good news? If this is such good news, and if the feet of those who bring it are beautiful, why? What is it about this good news? What is it about what we're doing when we speak it to someone else that matters? And so I got three reasons for you that the feet of those who bring good news of the gospel are beautiful. And the first one is one that maybe sometimes we have misunderstood. I don't know where you're at in your journey. I know I've misunderstood this before, and I'm going to throw it out there and let you wrestle with it. The first reason that the feet of those who bring good news are beautiful is because God is glorified when Christ is preached and proclaimed. Whenever Jesus Christ is proclaimed and exalted and preached, God is glorified through that. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. God is glorified. It's his intention to be glorified whenever Jesus Christ is exalted and lifted up. Whenever Christ is made much of, God is glorified. My personal mission statement, if if you were to go back and see what I wrote in my seminary paper about my graduation, my, my motif was the love of God. If you were to talk to me today, my motif is now the glory of God. And in my own journey, what has changed for me now is this, that this is how I, this is my mission statement for my life, is to glorify God by exalting Jesus Christ. That God is glorified whenever I make much of Christ. And and that's what Christ wants us to do with our lives, is make much of him, exalt him, present him, make him known, and God is glorified through that. Now here's the thing, that happens no matter if people accept him or not. See, sometimes we miss that point and we think the only way God is ever glorified is if I lead somebody to faith in Jesus Christ. Missionaries have run into that for years, and we know that missionaries have been in despair sometimes because they worked for years and years presenting the gospel, and maybe one or two people came to Christ. And according to that math, how do we see them? They see themselves as failures. Others see themselves like, wow, they didn't do a very good job there. But if they had been presenting Christ over and over again, guess what? The Bible says that Christ has been exalted even when people reject him. And so I just want to challenge us and encourage us that God is glorified when Jesus Christ is preached and proclaimed and presented. And when we live out the things of the gospel, Jesus Christ is glorified. And not whether or not people come to faith or not. That's important. I want to see that happen. But I want God to be glorified by us making much of Jesus and us of saying that Jesus is worth all things and he's worth being exalted and followed and being obedient to him and having faith in him. Here's a bunch of passages that I think might help us with this. Here's Romans 11:36. This is my favorite verse in the Bible. For from him and through him and then back to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That verse right there tells us that the universe is about one thing. What's that one thing? It's about Jesus. <laughs> the universe all exists. It is through him. It was from him through him and all back to him. Everything is about him. And when we make much of him, God is glorified. Here's Colossians 1, 15 through 18. Again, these are familiar passages to many of you. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things means what? All things. 
were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That in everything he might have the supremacy. And everything he might be the one that is the focal point. This is what Philippians 1, 15 through 17 says. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? This is what Paul says. Even those who are doing it out of false motive, he says, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. He goes, I don't even care what their motivation is. If Jesus Christ is being preached and exalted, Paul says, I'm good. I'm glad. See, the existence of the universe is all for the glory of Christ. And you and I get to bring this kind of good news to people. And even when people reject it, Jesus Christ is glorified and exalted through us sharing the message of how precious and how much he matters. And God is glorified through that. So the beautiful feat, the good news that we're bringing, God is glorified every time we speak it. Every time we live it, every time we put it into action, God is glorified because Jesus Christ is made much of. And as we move forward, I just want us to continue what we've been doing of making much of Jesus. But now I want to just challenge us to be bringing that out into the people that we know, into the lives of the people that our lives intersect with. So that's the first reason. Here's the second reason, because people's lives are changed. Think about your life. How's your life been changed by the gospel? How's your life been changed by Jesus? Maybe you're like me, and you grew up in a Christian home, so you don't see a lot of change in your life. But what God did in my life when I got to college, he began to help me see the condition of my heart and where I would be had not Jesus been in my life. I actually had a, 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 a pretty good childhood and upbringing, and I was in sports and stuff like that, and I did all the right things. I did all the right things I was supposed to do growing up. I didn't party. I didn't do the things we weren't supposed to do. I was a witness in high school, but when I got to college, and this is kind of embarrassing, but I try to be real with you. When I got to college, I even had a moment where I, when things were going hard, and I said, Lord, I deserve better than this. <laughs> I've been following you all this time, and in fact, I even got to a place where I said, Lord, you're kind of lucky that I'm on your team because I had other options, you know? I could have done other things. And then at that moment, God just showed me the condition of my heart. And he reminded me that the restraining work that was in my life was his spirit. That the things that I had done as a young person that were the right things were not because I was such a good guy, because I wasn't such a good guy. It was because the Holy Spirit of the living God was at work. And when he reminded me that and showed me that, he humbled me and got rid of that pride. That I'm sure that sounds really awful. Now half of you aren't even going to come back next week after that. But <laughs> that's where we are in a real world, right? We wrestle with things, we, these kinds of things. Maybe you have had a stark change in your life that you can say, wow, I can see how different I am. Whatever side you come from, your life has been changed because of the gospel. Here's Romans 6.18. Here's the progression. Having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. 
It is the feet of those who bring good news are beautiful because people's lives are changed and those people who have been bound by sin, all of us, are set free from sin. And not only are we set free from sin, this has been a theme that we've seen through our series, The Thread, 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple and and God's spirit dwells in you, that not only am I freed from sin, I am now a temple of the Holy Spirit of the living God. That's amazing. That's shocking. That's hard to understand. And then it goes even farther, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all, he says, with unveiled face, Beholding the glory of the Lord, listen to this, this is you, and this is anybody that you lead to to faith in Jesus Christ, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who who is the Spirit. The Spirit now is taking me and changing me from one small degree to another into the image and the glory of Christ. See, why it is such good news and why the feet of those who bring it are beautiful? Because people's lives are changed. Your life was changed. My life was changed. I was set free from sin. I became a temple of the Holy Spirit, and I'm being transformed one little degree at a time into the image of Jesus. Am I echoing out there a little bit? Jake and yeah. Maybe see if you can get me. Jesse, call my son Jay. Jesse, if you get that little echo out of there, thank you. One degree or another into the image of Jesus, people's lives are changed and transformed. So the first reason that it's beautiful feet of those who bring the good news is because Christ is glorified every time the gospel is presented and lived out. The second reason is because people's lives are really changed into the image of Jesus. That is just hard to fathom, but that motivates me. It motivates me to want to bring the good news to people. And finally, the third is because people's eternal destinies are changed. This is super crucial, and this really hits us in these last few weeks, isn't it? We know people that have entered eternity in Texas, Buffalo. I just had a friend in Facebook the other day, out of the, out of the blue, 44 years old, his wife died. 14 years of marriage. She was a believer. But we know on a moment-by-moment basis, people are entering into eternity. That's a reality. And one of the things that should motivate us and one of the reasons that the feet of those who bring these good news are beautiful is that because it changes people's actual eternal destinations. We don't often like to talk about this because there's two sides to the coin, but we're going to talk about both sides briefly this morning. People's actual eternal destinations are changed. John 3.16, most of you are familiar. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Eternal life. People's eternal destinies are changed based on whether or not they believe in Jesus. Revelation 21 and 22 can give us this picture of what heaven looks like. That's what we're doing when we're bringing this good news and people believe That's their destiny. Their eternal destinies are changed. The other side is just as real and just as hard. Years ago, I read an article in World Magazine that I'll never forget. I've searched and searched trying to find it again so I could find the author. But I'll never forget the day I was reading it, and the author was talking about his father. 
His father was not a good man, never was a good man, never had any indication of being a man of faith of any sort, and was brutal and unkind and not a good man. And this man in his article was writing about his father. And you know how often when we lose a loved one who doesn't know Christ or hasn't given us the assurance that they do, we hold on to a little bit of hope, right? That maybe at the last moment they might have come to faith. And we hold on to that. And I give people that to hold on to. We don't know what happens in a person's heart at the last moment. You pray and you hope that that's the case. But I'll never forget, because it hit me just so hard when this man wrote, I don't ever believe I will see my father again. And the reality of eternity, and the reality of what we believe in the scriptures, that there is a place of eternal presence of the Lord, and then there is a place that is eternally away from the Lord. We call that hell. When I read that, for some reason, and I had been through seminary and preached and all of that, for some reason when he said it like that, it just hit me. The reality was he didn't hold out any hope because the reality was that if one is not in Christ, that is the reality. And it's heavy. It's heavy. But the reason that the feet of those who bring good news are beautiful, because there are two eternal destinations. And one is the eternal presence with the Lord. This is what the other one is like. Matthew 10, 28. Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He says there is a hell. Here's the thing to remember. Quick side note, a whole other sermon. God rules hell. Satan doesn't rule hell. Sometimes we think that God's going to give Satan some place to rule. Satan doesn't get to rule anything. God rules everything. Who is this one that they should fear? who can destroy both body and soul in hell is God. Because God the judge is also somebody to be respected and feared. And God the Savior is somebody to be adored and worshipped. God the judge should be adored and worshipped as well, but we should remember that he is that as well. Matthew 13, 42, he says, And throw them into the fiery furnace, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's heavy. That's heavy stuff. But I wouldn't be preaching the truth if I didn't preach that too, because it's real. But here's the good news, that there is good news, that you and I get to have beautiful feet and bring that good news to people and say, hey, guess what? There's another way. And when I do that, Christ is glorified. When I do that, the potential for their life to be changed And when I do that, their eternal destiny has a potential to be changed. To me, that's a whole different motivation. It's a whole different motivation than just, oh, I know I should do this, and it's really scary. I still get scared sometimes when it comes to sharing my faith, and I've been around for a while. Somebody walk up to me and say, tell me about Jesus, and I'll be like, oh, I think I'm getting a little sweaty. (laughs) You know, I can feel some trickle going here. All right, Lord, help me. (laughs) Other times, I'm pumped, let's go, let's do it. That's the reality, right? But, but I want us to see that Christ is glorified, real lives, people you know and care about are changed, and eternal destinies are changed when we simply take this good news 
and proclaim it and, and live it out in the lives of the people that we come in contact with. So I want to spend just the last five minutes giving you some practical places, practical thoughts. We talked about this in a little bit in the family meeting, just to help us think, where am I going? If my feet, if the feet of someone like me are beautiful because I'm bringing good news, where am I going to bring that? Where is it going to go? How do I do this with some... Thanks, Pastor, for you know, throwing this at me, but how do I do this in some sort of practical, real way? Here's how I want to challenge us to apply this here in Chester Park. First, bring good news to your circles of influence. Now, I don't have that little uh, 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 picture that I had and gave out to you at, at that family meeting, but our circles of influence are all the different circles of life that you and I intersect with other people. I have... My own wife and kids, it starts there. My own personal relationship with Jesus. Then I've got extended family. And then I've got coworkers and friends and neighbors and people I do business with. If you listed everybody that you know, how many people do you think would be on that list? Just everybody that you know. They're part of your circle of influence. Your life interacts with their lives for a purpose, for a reason. And so... I shared with you about this guy, Oscar Thompson, who wrote this book that changed how I saw evangelism back when I was in seminary. And he simply said, evangelism is living out our lives and in our circles of influence, taking the good news of the gospel. And then he gave practical ways to do that. One is by loving other people and by meeting their needs and looking for ways to build bridges, about caring what they care about, working to understand people. And, and doing what we can to understand our culture and how people think and how people respond. We can do that by reading books and by being observant in the culture, but finding ways to build bridges. I can help but think about the time that I went to an all-star wrestling match at the old Met Center just to go with some guys to build a bridge with them, right? I wasn't a big, well, any guy who ever was between 18 and 25 at some point was a wrestling fan, right? We watched all-star wrestling somewhere in there, but I wasn't going to go pay money to go see it. But I had two co-workers that, that was one of the ways I could connect with them. We were all young at the time. We were working at a restaurant. I didn't want to go party with them, but I could go to an all-star wrestling match. Saw Andre, Andre the Giant. <laughs> Looking for ways to build bridges that you can feel comfortable with, but also finding ways to connect things that people are interested in, loving them. And one thing Oscar Thompson said, love is meeting needs. Finding ways to meet people's needs. So the first place that we do this, first place that we take this good news is in our circles of influence. Then we talked about that we are put in this place, this close to the UMD campus and St. Scholastica campus, that they would be part of our priority. That UMD and St. Scholastica would be places that we want to take this good news to. So I want to call us and invite us and challenge us to work together to reach those two schools, to work together to come up with ideas about how we can connect and ways that we can get on campus and have them come to this campus and ways for us to do that and that we work on that together that we get onto the campuses. And then when students walk through these doors, that we are all committed to rallying around them and encouraging them and connecting with them and inviting them to our homes and making sure that they have a support system that they need and caring for them. And then partnering with some of the organizations. We've had a good partnership with Athletes in Action and Crew and the Navigators. And so we want to continue those partnerships because we believe in what they're doing on those campuses because they're taking the good news. And we want to be a part of that and helping them with that and supporting them in that. So 
the practical place is your circles of influence, where you live, where you work, where you do things. And then we do want to focus in on those two campuses. And the third one is the Chester Park community and the surrounding communities. Not just this one, but this is where we are physically. So that's why we're doing some things up at the Chester Bowl. I'm going to invite any of you who want to join me on Tuesday nights. I'm volunteering up at the Chester Bowl on the music nights, regardless of what kind of music it is, even if it's not my favorite. So going up there and just volunteering, you want to join in? There's ways to do that. Chester Bowl had a whole lot more things than I ever realized that they're doing there in the community. It's one place for us to go and connect. We have circled communities around us, Lester Park and other places as well. And finally, those are the three places I want us to think about. And finally, the real issue then, how do I do that? How do I prepare? I simply want to encourage you to have a plan. Be strategic. Take an inventory of the people. That's what Oscar Thompson said. Actually, write them out. Write out the names and think of ways you can connect with them and what things they're interested in and what ways that you might have a connection with them. Then prepare yourself. We're going to do more of this in the coming days this summer, but am I prepared to share the gospel with somebody? How do I do that? I want to encourage you to be prepared. Think of your own testimony or think of some ways I like to use scripture and walk people through scripture. Think of other tools that you can use, but, but have a plan. Be prepared and then pray. This is the next one. We're going to talk about this next Sunday is prayer. Praying for spiritual conversations. Praying for one another that, that we will have spiritual conversations. First, pray that God will give you opportunities to have spiritual conversations. Pray for yourself that God would give you those opportunities. Then I'm going to challenge you to pray for your spouse or your roommates that they would have opportunities to share the gospel. My wife doesn't know this, but I'm recommitted and been more passionate about praying for her that when she's working at Starbucks, she'll have spiritual conversations. Not just about coffee and how to do it the Starbucks way, right? But, but about life, and she already has those, but I've just been praying more for her. Been praying for Jesse, that when he goes to work, and my other kids that work in other towns. But I want to invite you to be more committed to serious prayer for the people in your life that they might have opportunities to have spiritual conversations. And then one last really practical thing, I'm going to invite you to pray for your city group. Pray for the other members of your city group and pray that God would give them opportunities to have spiritual conversations opportunities where they can speak about the gospel. That's a little bit more focused, committed prayer. Praying for yourself, praying for your spouse, your kids, your roommates, and then praying for your city group, that they would actually have opportunities that the Holy Spirit would bring to them. Most of you have heard this story, let me share this story before, but one day when I was working at a nonprofit organization that was not faith-based, a young woman, co-worker, walked into my office and she said, Dean, I think I need Jesus. And I said, I think I can help you with that. <laughs> you know, I can help you there. I didn't do anything. I was just living out my life. She came to me. The Holy Spirit was already working. Holy Spirit is working in all those places. But we're going to find out next week. Jesus says, pray, because the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers into the harvest. So here's my prayer. It's my prayer that this church would be known for having beautiful feet because we bring the good news everywhere we can. That's what my prayer and my hope is. You ask me about my, what my vision for Chester Park is, there it is. That we would be known as a church that has beautiful feet because we're bringing the good news everywhere that we can, everywhere that we go.